It's December 13th, and welcome back to the Squashcast. I'm your host, Rob, joined once again by Jesse Engelbrecht. How's it, Rob? Yep, looking forward to having a, a catch-up about the squash in the last few weeks. We're going to look at three tournaments. They've been quite a lot back-to-back. We're going to probably start with the one that everyone's talking about, one of the most exciting tournaments of the season so far, just with pure upsets, um, the Channel VAS Championships. We're then also going to have a uh, quick look at the Women's World Teams and then finish off the squash cast with a look back at the Grand Prix in Manchester. Yeah, so if we start with the Channel VAS Championships, um, this is hosted just down the road from us in Weybridge at St. George's Hill. Um, a club you know quite well, Jess? Yeah, no, when, when I was younger, I used to uh, do some training there. Um, I was never based there, but probably was there once or twice a week at times. A- absolutely fantastic facility. Um, if you saw some of the photos on squash site, it's just a, a real kind of posh lawn tennis club, essentially. And But the members are, are really squash smart as well. They, they really are appreciative of uh, the players there. And yeah, massive credit to, to Danny Lee, who, who I know very well. Um, you know, he was a bit, of my, a bit of a mentor of mine when I was younger growing up. He's helped me quite a bit on the court. So he's done absolutely brilliantly to, to grow the tournament from last year to this year. I think, as we said in a previous squash cast, the, uh, the sponsor you know, put all the money in a $100,000 tournament and donated all the additional income to charity, which is fantastic, uh, the Click Sergeant Charity, which I believe is a, a child, uh, child sickness charity. Yeah, so absolutely brilliant tournament to have down the road. And, and yeah, fantastic to have something this massive, yeah, literally in the UK. Pretty much it was a tournament of pure upsets. It was <laughs> round by round was fantastic to follow this tournament. Looking just very quickly at the qualifiers, you had Nathan Lake taking out Alan Klein. Um, reason I mentioned that, Nathan is, is one of the players that plays for us at Surrey Sports Park here. So it was really good to see him take out one of the, the, the better seeds uh, in one of the qualifying rounds. Unfortunately, he didn't get to qualify, but um, fantastic skull for Nathan there. And then looking at the first round of the main draw, man, like I think... Again, Rob and I both predicted that we thought two Egyptians would be in the finals. We thought the number one and two seed, Mohamed al Shabagi one seed, and Omar Mossad two seed, pretty standard tournament would, would get to the final. I know we've talked about Daryl recently, and when we saw that draw come out, I think we both spoke to each other and said, actually, would that be the first potential upset? And it was, you know, Daryl Salby taking out the world number one, Mohamed al Shabagi 11-9 in the fifth and 89-minute epic. And... Yeah, what a way to kind of set the tone for the tournament, you know, the main draw, like Daryl, who's, who's played at St. George's Hill before, he used to represent the PSL team, to come in there and, and take out the number one seed, and, and you look at the scores, it's just absolutely brilliant, you know, 13-11, 9-11, 9-11, 11 huge credit for Daryl, and, and yeah, one scalp that looked like it really meant a lot to him. Yeah, it was a fantastic match, and if you look at it, it's it's a three-two in eighty-nine minutes, and nearly every game is to is to two points right at the end, um, and it really set the tone for the rest of the first round, where we had Steve Coppinger, one of your good friends, beating Omar Massad, the second seed as well, um, with only four of the eight seeded players making it through to the quarterfinals. Yeah, just uh, that's quite rare to see, like especially on a, a tournament that's on Squash TV Live, where you know four of the first eight seeds get knocked out. You know, for example, Sorav, the Indian lad, beating Borker in the first round. You also had qualifier Paul Cole beating Max Lee in an epic five set to eleven four in the fifth. Uh, then we also had results such as, yeah, like you mentioned, Rob, Steve Coppinger beating Mossad, which was brilliant because Steve had to come through qualifying as well. So 
it was just the way it was unfolding was was phenomenal so after that first round you know all the predictions you know went out the window but the number one and two seed went and then I suppose we look at something like you know Daryl Salby James Wilstrop which which was on the cards for for a long time um you know Daryl and James both winning their second round matches progressing through to the semis but you know the man of the tournament is as those of you who watch it you know Paul Cole the Kiwi from from New Zealand just somehow managing to get through qualifying get through his first match looking at his second round match a 102 minute battle with Miguel Rodriguez in the quarterfinals thinking can this guy keep going on and then somehow getting past Daryl Selby in the semis 3-1 you could call that relatively easy a 59 minute yeah and then almost the final was the easiest match of the lot for him it was kind of a like an upside down tournament in, in a strange way all those, all those harder matches he got out the way early and looked like he grew into it and yeah, won that final pretty convincingly by all accounts. Yeah, and we've had a lot of tournaments this year where we've seen a lot of the seeds go out first, second round, and and then the, the tournament settles down. People get used to the court and the you know the environment. Um, but this tournament, it never happened. Um, quarterfinals, we're looking at sort of Marwan El Shabagi, Mohammed's brother, the third seed for this tournament, takes on fellow countryman Tarek Moman, and I would have expected him to win that one, but loses it almost simply to for Tarek in, in 44 minutes yeah that was quite a strange match that um it, it kind of never got going like there was runs of points from either player and and yeah you would have probably expected Marwan to kind of take that you know seated a little bit higher than Tarek probably got a bit more confidence going into it so yeah quite quite a quite a strange one that one and it was it was just it was just so hard to predict this tournament it was absolutely brilliant to see and and definitely by the semi-final stage when you had Daryl in the top half and James in the bottom half. You thought, right, the the elder statesmen are, are coming to the party again. You know, similar to what we saw in the the Manchester Grand Prix with Nick and James in in the final there. You know, you know the older older guys kind of battling hard. You know, time of the year as well. Quite interesting how people were thinking about all oh, close to Christmas time, and you know maybe they just started to kind of clock off for a bit. But it obviously opened up and gave opportunity to to some of those like Paul Cole just kind of steaming through there. It was really interesting to kind of well watch the tournament as well because there was a lot of talk about how fast the court was like a really quick fast front wall uh ball was flying off that front wall but also seemed to kind of take take it well into the corners like the drop shots and the length if if they were being hit well it was rewarding the players big time and watching paul in that final he was he was able to kind of play shots that Tarek wasn't even able, able to get to in the front you know and strange they didn't look like the best shots at the beginning but then when it slowed it down and showed them yeah the, the ball was staying really short or really deep so a real interesting court and you'd probably just say Paul adapted to those conditions better than anyone else yeah from the perspective as you, as you said sort of how you perceive where the ball ends up that could could be down to the, the that camera angle they were using where it was it was quite low but quite squat with a wide angle lens and it, it actually made you feel like you were really close to the match um, if we look at that final I, th- I really th- feel to myself that the second game was the deciding game. If uh, Tarek has a 10-9, so he has a game ball, if he equalizes at that point, it could well just run away with it. Um, but the fact that Paul Carr was able to fight back and win 13-11 really did um, show his determination and set the final game, um, which he took 11-4. 
yeah, I think maybe Paul was just, just breeding off that confidence he'd built up round by round, the amount of time he'd spent on court from the qualifying all the way through, the amount of minutes and hours he'd spent on there. You know, it just looked like when he got that second game, that was it. There was no way coming back. And, you know, I probably slightly disagree. I think even if Tarek had taken that, I, I reckon Paul would have been quite comfortable in the third and fourth personally. I, you never know. It could have swung and maybe nerves would have got the better of Paul and, and he would have been like, oh, wow, I'm in a final here and it's one all. But um, just just go back around looking at the semi-finals, um, especially with Tarek and James, a real kind of strange match. You know, it's 55-minute three love to Tarek. Every game went to 11-9. And yeah, I would have said James would have been, even though he wasn't seated above Tarek, I would have just said his form of late and, and how he's become a bit more, you know, inspired and, and back back on kind of the, the horse, so to speak. I thought he would have won those all those three games, three love personally. So it was interesting to see Tarek there and, I don't know, maybe Tarek got a bit of an easy route to the final in that sense. And the semi and Tarek had beaten Paul Cole in Qatar, I believe. So, yeah, and then, and then but Paul may be able to kind of take massive advantage of Tarek in that sense. Yeah, and you mentioned that match uh, from the Qatar Classic. That one was 101 minutes and uh, Tarek coming through that one. But they played in, in the first round there. Paul again having to come through qualifying. And I think that shows that... Um, you asked me before whether or not I thought this was a fluke and uh, I, I was hesitant to, to answer but I don't think it is purely because of his performance in, in late late tournaments and um, I really think for, for a guy outside of the top 30 it's, it's a great boost uh, for the season to come. Yeah, totally. You know that he's going to go into Christmas time, probably the happiest man on the tour right now, like absolutely buzzing. And it's going to be interesting to see how, how he kind of bounces back. And yeah, for any of you that saw the photos, like, did you see that trophy? Unbelievable size of trophy. Um, I hope there was a miniature version he could take back on the plane with him to New Zealand because it was absolutely humongous. But just looking at Paul Collars as a player and, and what he can do, yeah, definitely a, a a chance for him to break through now it's going to be interesting to see what he does in the next two or three tournaments i think i think we've got to we've got to be measured in in what we think in that regard um he's he's just such a physical beast I th there's no doubt about it he puts in probably more than most people on the tour he bases his game around the physical side he's really good to watch play watch playing in the sense that he's so deliberate with everything every movement he does is so deliberate his racket is up is so early on both sides he's a he's a great kind of coaching model in that sense so i'm, I'm definitely going to kind of pay close attention to him and have a look what he does and you know try get some clips and videos to show my players about, about what he does but whether this is a tournament that's that's making people work him out now you know people are going to be well aware of him now so in the next few tournaments no one's going to take him lightly not that they would have but maybe they thought okay he's, he's going to he's going to blow up soon but it'll be interesting to see the next two or three tournaments and, and we'll keep a close eye on him and, and we wish him all the best because it is he's just got a lot of people talking in the squash world at the moment yeah and we've seen more recently a lot of those physical players Rodriguez, Castanier those kind of players who have as you say almost been sorted out and, and discovered um, but you never know and he's still going to have to fight through qualifying over the next few tournaments because his ranking is not going to increase that much with this tournament um, but really we, we both hope, hope for the best for, for Paul and uh, look forward to see what he's going to do in the future so with that one out of the way we're going to just quickly touch upon the uh, ladies team world championships and uh, a couple of weeks ago we at Jess, uh, me and Jesse at Surrey Sportswork were uh, lucky enough to host a couple of the Canadian team players. Um, that was a, a great experience with our old coach, Graham. 
Yeah, no, really, really good to see Graham Williams back in the UK and, and yeah, flying the Canadian flag, so to speak. So uh, some would call him a traitor, but no, he, he lives over there with his family now and he's he's really carved a nice niche for himself uh, with the Canadian ladies national team. And yeah, great that he was here for the day and we got we got a few good photos up of it. And yeah, so no, no just good to catch up with him. Yeah, and uh, such an old friend. I certainly wouldn't call him a traitor, uh, especially if he's listening. Um, so we'll we'll dive straight into the the semi-finals, which is where um, the real action started. And we had a slight upset in the quarterfinals with uh, Hong Kong beating Malaysia, um, but they faced England in the semi-finals with England taking it three love, uh, a three-one win to uh, Laura Mazzaro against Annie Au and Sarah Jane Perry three love against Lee Tzu. Good pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, so uh, England England won that match 2-0 because when they, when they play the first two rounds, uh, they, they don't play the third string if there's a dead rubber. So England number two seed, Hong Kong the number four seed. That was, yeah, kind of, I suppose, expected for them to meet each other. And then in the other semifinal, we had Egypt versus France, which... Uh, I suppose you probably look at Camille Serm uh, for the one to maybe cause an upset or, or to start a, a trend for France to maybe get a bit of a foothold. But yeah, look, Egypt, Egypt were just so strong in that regard. You know, uh, Noel Shabini actually beat Camille Serm three love, so pretty convincing. And the overall fixture was three love uh, in Egypt's favour. So, you know, I think the third match was being played at the time. And, uh, looking at it here at the results, Noran Gohar beat uh, Colleen 2-0. So I think they just had a best of three friendly. So it was all set up for the number one and two seeds, uh, Egypt versus England. England are current world ladies champions. You know, they managed to win the tournament a couple of years ago uh, by, by just pure guts, team spirits, work ethic over the Egyptians a couple of years ago. But... The Egyptians looked a little bit more rounded as a team this year. They, you, you saw a lot of photos of them hanging out together, doing kind of some some team bonding stuff. Whereas before, like like countries like Egypt, because there's so many individual great players, sometimes to bring them together in a team situation is not not as easy. And and I know the England players do thrive off you know becoming a close team and a close knit unit. So that led us quite nicely into the final. Um, between obviously England and Egypt and so the lineups were Noor Al-Shabini and Laura Massara as the one strings, Noran Goa and Alison Waters as the two strings and Raneem Al-Walili and Sarah Jane Perry as the three strings. Um, brilliant for Laura to get on the scoreboard for England, you know she took out Noor Al-Shabini 3-1, a 49 minute match and, and yeah and Laura kind of picking up similar to where she, she finished at the end of last season in, in the uh, Super Series finals, you know getting, getting England on the front foot. Unfortunately, the other two matches didn't quite go the way of the England team. Um, and, and yeah, it's it just a shame that the England girls didn't even get a game in that sense. I think it, it, maybe you sneak a game, you get onto the scoreboard, nerves start to kind of show a little bit. So you had Noran Gohar beating Alison Waters 3-love, a really tight third game, 12-10. Um, and then you also had Renim Al-Walili beating Sarah Jane Perry 3-love. Uh, close first game, but then it looked like it got away from, from uh, Sarah Jane in that regard. So I'd probably say looking at that... It, Alice, you don't want to obviously blame anyone, but Alison would probably be the one that could have turned the tide for the England team. I think Sarah Jane Perry is always going to be a little bit as the underdog against Raneem Al-Walili. But, you know, fantastic achievement for Egypt. You know, the one seeds getting the world championships. It looked like it meant a lot to them as well. You could see the, the joy and happiness for the Egyptian team to, to claim back that title after not having it for a couple of years. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and you can't help but feel a, a little bit uh, sorry for Alison Waters and Sarah Jane Perry coming up against such young and uh, highly ranked players. Um, 
that tournament was available on YouTube to uh, watch as they live streamed it, which um, is a bit unusual for tournaments. I think it's World Squash TV is the YouTube channel. And it's worth um, any listeners at home subscribing to that on YouTube because they've had uh, previous World Team Championships available to watch. And they have old streams. It's quite difficult to find individual matches because they put up the, the entire day's worth of video. But um, it's, a, it's a good resource if you're a bit bored maybe on a uh, Sunday afternoon and you want to watch some squash, then you can, uh, you can go back on that YouTube channel and uh, find hours and hours of matches that you can, you can sift through. So we'll move on to the last tournament that we're going to talk about this week, um, which was the British Grand Prix held in Manchester. Um, this was back on the 30th of November, so it's been a couple of weeks since. Um, and I think, as Jesse said, it was a bit more to par. We, we didn't see uh, as many uh, unbelievable upsets as the Channel VAS. Um, other than looking at the, the seedings, we had Greg Goltier going out in the quarterfinals, but... Uh, sorry, semi-finals to uh, James Wilstrop. But that's, coming back from injury, it's not too much of a surprise. Yeah, no, quite a, a standard tournament in results-wise, so to speak. Uh, still some, some brilliant squash and offer and the odd few kind of results that, that were a bit unexpected. Um, again, a bit of a shout-out to Nathan Lake coming through qualifying. Again, beating the number two seed in qualifying. Um, and then coming up against Max Lee and, and putting up a pretty good performance against Max Lee, but just falling short there. Um, one of the matches of the first round, which was one of the best ones, was Chris Simpson versus uh, Nafizwan Adnan from Malaysia. A 96-minute battle with uh, Nafiz Adnan upsetting the seeding slightly, winning 3-2. Uh, Chris Simpson was the seventh seed and Adnan wasn't seeded, but I know these two have played loads in the past and, and Adnan is known on the tour. He's becoming one of one of the, the elder players on the tour now and, and he's a real technically so sound and, and, and just got a good all round game. And that was a that was a real pure game of squash. Both players really battling for the tee, getting their quality length and taking the ball in short. Lovely. I, I managed to catch quite a bit of that, which was which was good to see. Um, and then probably the other slight upset of the first round qualifier Richie Fellows beating uh, fellow countryman Tom Richards 3-1 50 minutes. Uh, Tom has been plagued by injuries and I believe he was actually injured going into this match so take nothing away from Richie I think looking at an 11-9 in the fourth Tom was probably still operating on 80 or 90 percent but just it's such fine margins uh, at that phase but you know good good for Richie to kind of get through to the quarterfinals of, of probably the biggest tournament I'm not sure if he's got that far in previous tournaments that's that's going to help his ranking loads. Yeah, and Richie has been described by a few of his opponents over the last few months as an absolute beast on court. So um, it's good to see an Englishman coming up through the ranks like that, um, taking out uh, uh, one of the older statesmen of the, of the tour. Um, if we look at the, the semi-finals with uh, Greg Gaultier, James Wilstrop, Daryl Selby and Nick Matthew, it almost looks like a tournament from five or six years ago if, you just, uh, if we didn't have any of the, the new younger uh, Egyptian players dominating like we do now. So that was good to see. Yeah, no, totally. It, it was a throwback to 10, or almost even 15 years ago. That absolutely brilliant to see those those four guys all in their 30s. Uh, yeah, easily all in their 30s. I think probably Greg or James are the youngest, maybe 32, 33. Uh, but yeah, not, not many Egyptians entered this tournament, uh, if any. You know, there was very little presence of the Egyptians here. And uh, looking at the, the channel VAS as well, only, only 
two Egypt, well, three Egyptians in the main draw. So yeah, or four actually, I forgot Marwan on there. Um, yeah, so interesting to see how the Egyptians have decided not to kind of come across and, and, and play in these tournaments in England. Uh, maybe they feel, I don't know if it's just a, a personal choice, if, if they, they, they're choosing to wind down at this time and, and hit the tournaments hard in the new year. But yeah, looking at the first semi-final, James versus Greg, a brilliant 3 2 um Pretty big upset, I would still say. Yeah, even though Greg was coming back from an injury, I would... I would it's just grateful for someone like James to kind of get that result and, and actually, again, stamp his authority on, on the, the resurgence he's had. You know, it was an 11-5 in the fifth, a 68-minute match. Um, I didn't get much chance to see that match, but read the reports and read the accounts. It, it sounded like, a very again, a very pure game of squash. And yeah, what one, one for the ages. Yeah, and for me, that one really did feel like one of the best tournaments of the uh, best matches of the entire tournament um, with, uh, with James coming through 3-2. Um, I think it's it's good for Greg to have these matches as he's coming back because when we come to the tournament of champions coming up in January, um, he's going to be looking to come out for that one foot uh, guns blazing. And it could have been that you push it too far too quickly, he could have um, tweaked that injury again uh, and it could have been a bit of a risk. Um, if we look at the other semi-final, we've got uh, Daryl versus Nick. And as we've said you know, in recent tournaments, Daryl's been... Um, running through some of the players, um, even beating Mohammed more recently in um, the Channel VAS, and this one was a 77-minute 3-1 to Nick. Um, these guys must know each other like like the back of the hands. Yeah, I think they they get chance to train together at England squads and national squads quite quite a few times throughout the year, so they'll be totally aware of each other's strengths and weaknesses. I know Daryl's changed his game quite a lot recently. He's he's talking about how he's starting to really enjoy experimenting in the front of the court and using more of the racket face and the strings and and putting different spins and cuts on the ball and. Yeah, he just says, like, he looked at himself and said, right, he's only got, like, a, maybe a year, two years, possibly three years left, and he just wants to go out and enjoy his game loads, and, and I think he's found a way to enjoy that, you know, really expressive, almost looser than ever, just in his kind of his body language and his movements, nice and relaxed, nice and fluid, and I don't think he, he personally doesn't like being called the White Rammy, but it's the nickname that's kind of stuck to him at the moment, um, and he kind of is, he's showing, he's showing that his racket work and his racket skills are, are, are really coming to the fore. You know, yeah, Nick, again, not necessarily a resurgence, but he had a slow start to the season and, and he's really getting into a stride now. You know, a 77-minute match, so a bit, of, a bit of an epic in in time-wise with only a 3-1. And, you know, you might have thought, OK, well, like that might just take the edge off Nick leading into the final. But look at the final, man, it was just, Nick was just animalistic at his best. You know, it, you could see how much it meant him. I believe it, it was, it's been over a year since he's won a tournament, I think, something like that. Um, I can't remember the exact stats on it, but you could see when he won, all the veins popping out the side of his head, all in his arms, and, and that, that wolf pose that he, he's become so famous for now. But leading into that, I think a lot of people were talking about, you know, the Canary Wharf Classic, I think in 2010 when those two played, where James had to stop, I think, nine all in the fifth with cramp in the back left corner. It was just one of those most phenomenal matches. And I think everyone was kind of hoping that it would, would be one of those. And and second game, yeah, 12-10 to Nick. It could have kind of gone a bit towards James there. But I think even if James and Nick that second game, I think Nick was just going to be in Paris. He, he was just in his stride so perfectly. 
like almost his home courts up in Manchester. He's from Sheffield. You know, he's he's been on that court so many times. I think he feels so comfortable on that court. He probably knows the majority of the people in the crowd. I don't think he was going to let this one go lightly. You know, and and especially when Greg got knocked out in the semis, it's probably just more fire to the fuel for Nick in that regard. Yeah, great performance. And if we actually look at this scoreline, 11-7, 12-10, 11-4, it's almost an identical scoreline to Paul Cole versus Tarrant Moment. And you can really see the similarity in the match where he took the second game and just demolished him in the third. Um, really good to see. Yeah, no credit to Nick for winning that one. So looking forward now a little bit to stuff coming up in the new year, there's that real interesting tournament, um, the Hut K Fight Night, uh, the $50,000 event, the kind of the one-off boxing promoter style event between Gregory Gultier and Kareem Abdelgawad completely kind of out there you know it's being held in Houston USA and we'll definitely be having a little look at that and seeing what's happening there and yeah just just really innovative ideas from the tournament promoter he's quite a young bloke I believe I read a bit of a report on him um he's, he's got he's got some back-end funding I think his father owns the the hutk.fit website I, I believe it's a well basically a a retail website for for squash specific stuff you know racket shoes clothing uh amanda sobe sponsored by them i think kareem is also sponsored by them as well so yeah just a real interesting kind of tournament um taking place on the 7th of january and that's just right before the uh you know arguably everyone's favorite tournament of the year the tournament of champions which is from the 10th to the 19th of january over in new york so i'm sure greg and uh, kareem will will love that as a bit of a warm-up tournament just going back quickly to the fight night tournament i believe it's a best of seven games so and there's two minute breaks in no no there's five minute breaks in between games and during each game i think a player can have a two minute break at any point so the idea is the whole match is extended a lot more it's real kind of interesting way and an interesting format that the guys propose um it doesn't sound very pure squash if i'm honest but it sounds really kind of intriguing i'm sure he's going to sell out the house and for that amount of prize money man those two guys are going to be going hammer and tong at it yeah it's certainly an uh almost eccentric way to uh, to play a squash match it's almost as if uh, you're down on a Sunday afternoon with your best mate and you've just got two or three hours to, to keep playing so I'm not quite sure how long seven games will take um, but who's your money on? Oh man, seven games? It might, it might just have to swing. I don't know. I say swing to guilt here, but listen, my predictions of late if anyone wants to win a match, just tell me to predict them to win and the other person will win. Guaranteed. I gar- in the VAS, I think I got every single person wrong I predicted. So now I've, I've got a little bit of a hex over everyone with that. So some might call it a skill and a talent, you know, so feel free to get in contact if you want me to kind of jinx anyone. So I'm going to say Greg. Um, so that probably guarantees Karim's going to win it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, Craig maybe a little bit older. Just thinking of of would would money make him play better? I don't know. That that's kind of what it's kind of looking at. It's almost kind of looking at right. There's so much money on the line, guys. Who's got the biggest kind of kahuni, so to speak? Who's going to kind of show what they're made of in this event? So no, I think we'll um, definitely be reporting on this one pretty soon afterwards. Yeah, and with the TOC being uh, a big fan favorite and one of the player favorites, um, it's going to be a, a a great start to 2017. Um, in January also we've got the Motor City Open uh, 70k tournament and that's that's just the men's that's in Detroit. Um, any thoughts on uh, what's coming up over the next few months? Yeah no I think the TOC Motor City is is looking good we'll definitely be reporting on that uh, and then looking a little bit 
deeper into February. We've got the, the Swedish Open, which I know it's a very popular one, 70K event. Uh, British Nationals, you know, you're kind of looking at, at the older statesmen again and maybe a few of the youngsters breaking through. And then quite a big one in, in towards the end of Fed, the Windy City Open um, in Chicago. So, yeah, no, lots to report on. I think the season's going to start with a bit of a bang. We've got um, Kareem Gawad really kind of trailblazing his way through. We've got Mohamed Al Shabagi trying to secure his world number one position. I think he's obviously got to watch out. I think because he got knocked out early on in Channel Vass, yeah, he, he's gonna he's gonna have to pull out some big results soon. And then you've got uh, Paul Cole just just off the back of that VAS Championship to see how he gets on. So, you know, keep keep listening, keep um, keep reposting and tweeting and liking all of us and if we don't speak to you again have a good christmas and new year everyone be safe and yeah we'll look forward to seeing you in the new year absolutely and as soon as the draw for the toc is announced we'll post that up on our facebook page and uh, probably a link on twitter as well but once again from us at the squash cast thank you very much for listening have a good christmas and see you next time